Hello and welcome to the Risk Experience Podcast. With the advent of algorithmic trading, or what is commonly known as algo trading, traders have enjoyed seamless operations with increased returns. Although a much cherished tool, algo trading has generated varied sentiments among different groups, particularly when it comes to its impact on employment in the face of growing automation. In this episode of the Risk Experience Podcast, we discuss algo trading, some of its pros and cons, as well as its role in risk management. Joining me for this discussion is Lauren Benu, founder and CEO of Alpha Secure Capital. Lauren has developed risk management systems for portfolios and developed algorithmic trading strategies that perform on multiple platforms. He has also worked in the alternative investment space at Fidelity, Rockhampton, and Ward Ferry for 14 years. Welcome and thank you for joining the discussion, Lauren. Thank you very much for inviting me here. Dr. Ofori, thank you very much. Right, I appreciate your willingness to talk on the subject. So let's begin with the fundamentals by having you tell us what algo trading is. All right, so algo trading, um, it's a synonym for systematic trading. It's basically trading according to a set of predetermined rules. Right. Those rules are usually direction, whether you want to go long, that is buying a stock, or short, if you want to sell a stock or stock or futures, or forex, whatever. The second set of rules are entries, like what are the criteria that make you enter a trade? The third one is exit, what makes you get out of a trade? And the fourth one is risk management, which is position sizing, the exposures, how much leverage you want to have, or the net exposure, which is basically the long book minus the short book. So how much directionality do you want in your portfolio? The net beta is how much net uh, long short sensitivity to the market, how much concentration you want to have, how many names do you want to have, the number of names, conditions, the volatility of the returns, or how much risk you want to take, and so on and so forth. Right. The way to think about algorithmic trading is an extreme formalization of a philosophy. So you show up with a philosophy like, let's say I want to buy stocks that are cheap and that have potential for growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to short stocks that are expensive and have potential to mean revert and so on and so forth. Um, one thing I wanted to say about algorithmic trading is that in the, in the business, in the financial services, people talk about investment process. Now, if investment is a process, automation is the natural logical conclusion. Exactly. This, as truth has existed since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, and it's not about to go away anytime soon. So for everybody who says, yeah, but investing is enough, congratulations. Join the court of artists, 95% of whom starve. <laughs> now, one thing about algorithmic trading is that it can, it can range from, because it's a set of rules, it can range from completely manual for people who do not have a um, coding background, do not want to code. To fully automated. I see. The fully automated kind is probably the HFT or a lot of the algorithmic trading using Forex or cryptos and so on and so forth. Right. That's an excellent point and detailed explanation. So particularly on the role of algo trading on risk management pertaining to position sizing, I believe this is one of the most visible areas where its impact has been very much felt. Now, can you take us through a brief historical overview on the development of algo trading? So it started, it originated with the people that are known in the business as turtle traders. So the turtle traders is uh, Richard Dennis and William Eckert. 
and they did it manually back in the days in the 80s. Mm-hmm. There's even a movie about it with Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's called Trading Places. So, again, they were not automated, but they were systematic. They had a very simple set of rules. Enter on a 20-day breakout, close on a 10-day uh, breakdown, mm-hmm. and add after two average true range and so on and so forth. So that was the, that was the first instance back in the 80s. Uh, the, around the same time, in the 90s, uh, came the dawn of, uh, of algorithmic trading, Jim Simons. There's a f- fabulous book written about him. And uh, Jim Simons is, uh, is the principal of Renaissance. So Renaissance is the longest, best-performing hedge fund on record. Nothing comes remotely close. I see. The medallion fund returns about Kager on this one is, uh, is north of 40%. It's, it's absolutely exceptional. So Jim Simons is originally a mathematician. He practices geometry. Jim Simons is the best performing hedge fund manager on the planet. And then when you ask him who's the best of all time, he will, he will, in a heartbeat, says, Ed Thorpe, no one comes close to him. Ed Thorpe, to give you a background of the, on the person, was one of the very first person to introduce like uh, computers on the floor. Right. And uh, he's the person who discovered the Black-Scholes formulas for option pricing Four years before Black Shores. Not only that, he schooled Black Shores about the fact that these guys, their formula was not applicable to European options. There are American options which expire, which on, uh, which are held to maturity, and then European options which can be exercised at any time. So the Black Shores doesn't work on European options. And then he's the first guy who invented long short market neutral funds. I mean, the list of the things he invented is the guy who. who uh, you game the casinos in Las Vegas. He wrote a book called Eat the Dealer. And uh, so much so that the casino industry had to change the rules of blackjack. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this guy like routinely schools, uh, he routinely schools Nobel Prizes. Like for instance, Black Shows, he said, no, no, you got it wrong. Okay. The guys didn't talk back. Then to Eugene Farmer, nah, efficient market hypothesis. Nah, no, I don't believe in it. <laughs> And you know what? You didn't come out, didn't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> then after that, historically comes Cliff Asnes, who precisely is a disciple of, uh, of Eugene Farmer with his fund AQR. And then uh, after the 2000s, probably in the uh, mid 2000s, came the, the advent of real algorithmic trading, as in like high-frequency trading. Right. There are two books that are interesting about this. One of them is called Dark Pools, and the other, them, uh, the other one is uh, Flash Boys. So uh, uh, HFT, high-frequency trading, is a different form of, uh, of algorithmic trading where humans do not interact. And a lot of the stuff that they do is what we call plumbing, mm-hmm. which is like how to reroute orders, how to spot orders and so on and so forth so in these days um in terms of where we stand now of algorithmic trading one of the main difficulties where the technology stands at the moment is that for retail traders for instance and more and more platforms like quantopian quant connect uh a lot of these platforms but for this these are very good backtesting uh, platforms but in order to connect and to execute the orders real time you need to be a professional programmer. So to give you an analogy is uh, if you want to play, what, what is that, like Pac-Man 
back in the 80s or Space Invaders back in the 80s, you need to, to build your own computer. So we're very much in a situation where it's a Steve Jobs, Apple one kind of moment where platforms now exist, but it's still, you need, you need to be a good programmer. And then finally, you can program strategy. Right. That is very impressive. So now let's talk a bit about the current state of algo trading. How is the industry looking like at the moment? So probably more than 80% of all trading volume is done by algorithm. I see. Uh, the overwhelming portion of that is high-frequency trading. But uh, apart from that, a lot of the other types of algorithms that we see are what we call trading algorithms, the execution algorithms. They can be Sniper, they can be Iceberg. There are a whole bunch of like funny names. Uh, but these are more execution algorithms that are supposed to beat VWAP. VWAP is volume-weighted average price. Right. So the idea for the execution traders is to beat the... Uh, the VWAP of the day. It's not the close of the day, it's just the, the VWAP is uh, the price at which there was the most, the weighted average uh, volume. Now, in terms of uh, the, the, the state of the industry at the moment, my belief, any retail trader has access to more information, has access to more technology than the top tier one investment banks 10 years ago. Exactly. If you're good with Python, you can scrape the internet and then you can process it via uh, uh, machine learning, whether it's scikit-learn, TensorFlow, Keras, you name it. And uh, you can literally gather more information faster than any traditional research department. Now, as I said, the difficulty of doing this sort of research that is in a, into a fully automated trading strategy for this, for a fully automated tr- trading strategy, to deploy this is it's a totally different beast. I see. The idea there is the platform, the connectivity. Um, I have a PDF in front of me that I can read out. Absolutely. And the question is, what do you think the number one problem facing programmatic traders on a day-to-day basis? So there are uh, five answers, and percentages percentages attached to them. So what are the main what is the main roadblock? The number one, of course, is generating alpha. So that is a strategy that has a positive gain expectancy. Right. But that is about two-thirds of the people have difficulty coming up with strategies that generate alpha. Now, underneath that, the number two with one-third is broker connectivity. The number three is data processing and storage. So data processing and storage, like uh, you can scrape a lot of, of prices, but... Let's say you have a stock split. Let's say you have a dividend. Let's say mm-hmm. the valuation changes and so on and so forth, an IPO and so on and so forth. So just a ticker change, for instance, M3, like everybody goes uh, knows 3M or M3, 3M, the Minnesota mining, uh, whatever. Uh, this one changed ticker. Now, if it changes ticker, then your algorithm doesn't work. You can't do backtests anymore and so on and so forth. Exactly. So that is also a problem. The mm-hmm. number four is trading and server management. Now, that is always an interesting one. You see, for instance, to, to give you an example, like on some platform, you have one socket to download the prices, one socket to access your account, and one port to, um, to connect for the orders. That's very difficult. Unless you're a system engineer, good luck developing your, your platform. Right. And then the final one is ease of backtesting. So the ease of backtesting is um, tough. Like, for instance, there's a platform called MetaTrader, MQL, MT4. When I started programming, that thing was already obsolete. But it's still uh, still one of the dominant 
platform. It's a single threaded C++. So the point that I want to make is like everybody wants to be Jim Simons. Nobody wants to do the plumbing. Right. And connecting and building your own platform is very difficult. It's time consuming. It's very difficult to do the back testing. To give you an example, when I first uh, started this, I, I opened an order on a demo account. And that order uh, got repeated 120 times over a minute. The idea there is uh, simply because I forgot, uh, like the condition was met, and every time the sequence was refreshing, it sent a new order. Mm-hmm. So you see those kind of like very trivial but not so simple things. And this is what prevents a lot of people from getting into algorithmic trading. I see. So you had earlier mentioned that algo trading could range from manual to fully automated. Focusing on the manual aspect of it, if algo trading could be manual, why is there the need for a firm to invest in it? Uh, that's a good question. So the idea there is a lot of people um, show up with, a, with an idea of a strategy and say, okay, can you please program this because this is my billion dollar uh, strategy. Right. And uh, the, market, the market is something called randomness. And uh, they look at one aspect of the market and they think they've captured uh, something that will make them money. But then they realize, wait a minute, I forgot about this. Oh, but I forgot about that. Oh, and I forgot about this and so on and so forth. So before you start, like you hire a programmer to code it for you and to do all the coding, it's vital to have already a very good idea of what you're doing manually so that you don't waste time and resources coding and and recoding unless you can do it backtest and do it again so to come up with a strategy although you probably have a strategy that will have a positive expectancy then over time it would evolve it would evolve along with the market it would evolve along with your knowledge and as i said before it's a formalized it's an extremely formalized version of of philosophy so your vision of the market, the way you apprehend the market, the way you approach it will change over time. Great. So having said that, what would you say is the adoption rate of algo trading in the industry at the moment? Oh, good question. So um, I come from an equities background. Uh, the active management of equities is, is facing a well-deserved existential crisis. So ETFs, which are like exchange-traded funds, passive investing, as clobbered active management for every year on record since record has been taken. I see. And the classic uh, excuse or answer that the active managers come up with is, yeah, but in times of crisis, you need active management because it will do better. Wrong, wrong, and wrong every single year. We had another example in March. They got clobbered like cute baby seals, cute Canadian baby seals. It was... It was not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> so to give you an example, so my belief is that evolution doesn't take prisoners. Either you're going to start coding, either you're going to start algorithmic trading, either you're going to look for another job. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Right. And as I said before, I mean, if investment is a process, automation is, an, is the next logical conclusion. Now, the good thing about algorithmic trading is that when you trade manually, your emotions take over and your inner idiot will make you make the wrongest decision at the wrongest possible time. So algorithmic trading basically removes the inner idiot. Exactly. So 
you can elaborate strategies, test them while your mind is calm, and then let the machine does it does what it does best. That's excellent. So, what does a firm need to do in preparation for adapting algo trading in terms of technology, human resource, and anything they really need to focus on when getting themselves ready to roll out algo trading? That's a good question. So, I mean, now it's getting a lot easier. I am a co-founder uh, for this for disclosure. Uh, for transparency purposes, I'm a co-founder of a company called Tradologics. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're doing is uh, we're going to bring hedge fund in a box. The idea there, as I mentioned before, like connectivity uh, and all the like, all the plumbing connecting to the broker with all the ports and sockets is complicated. The order management is complicated. Uh, writing the strategy when you ha- when you have like, for instance. Scaling in, scaling out, reverse, like uh, reversal strategies and so on and so forth. It's complicated. Right. Everybody wants to be Jim Simons. Nobody wants to do the plumbing. So we're taking care of that. And on top of that, what I've done in Hedge Fund World was to develop portfolio management system. So portfolio management system is basically, if you think of Tony Stark, Tony Stark is a billionaire, is a philanthropist, is an entrepreneur, is whatever you want. But it would be nobody if it didn't have his Iron Man suit. And a portfolio management system is an Iron Man suit. Once you have your flow of ideas, then you need to worry about risk. Exactly. How much you're going to bet on one, a single trade, how much you're going to bet as a portfolio, all, all these exposures. So what we do is basically we automate all that stuff so that you can show up without being a professional programmer and do it. So, and I believe that this is where the industry is converging at the moment. This is where we're moving towards. So the barriers to entry they're still reasonably high. Like you, you can't show up at the moment. I mean, even I mean, with trade logics, we're gonna we're gonna seriously bring the, the barriers down at a cost that is unbeatable. Like we had a webinar I think a week ago, and like, all right, folks, you can pick up your jaw from the floor. This is that cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, to have a hedge fund grade double encryption cloud infrastructure and so on and so forth. If you if you're a good programmer, you can have it for about fifty to hundred dollars a month. And we're talking about double SSH encryption and so on and so forth. Then on top of that, you can deploy your Python environment or whatever environment you want, and it's not that hard. But you probably need a developer. Now, one thing I would stress is um, you got to be really, really, really careful that uh, when you hire a programmer, that first they have a track record, that second they deliver on time, and also one thing that you need to be really careful, you need to be very explicit about what you ask. Because one thing that I've noticed over and over and over and over again. Well, but this is not what I want. Yeah, but this is what you ask. No, but this is not what I want, but this is what you ask. No, but this is not what I want, this is what you ask. Okay, how long is it going to take? Not too long. And this this uh, this bug is called paycheck bug. So that bug, that infinite bug keeps on looping and looping and looping until you finally fire the programmer. So you got to be careful about those things. Exactly. But uh, apart from that, I would say that the barriers to entry, and then so in terms of language, for instance, I program in Python, I can do a little bit of C Sharp, but there's also a new language that is really fast called Julia. Right. So you raise a very important point, and I believe that firms will do their necessary due diligence when preparing to roll out algo trading. So with algo trading having been around for a while, I believe any first mover advantages are winning by now. What happens then if all firms or majority of firms adopt algo trading? Are there any advantages that some firms are going to enjoy over others? Or is it just going to lead to an overall increase in market efficiency? Okay, that's a good question. So for instance, Jim Simons or Ed Thorpe, they were very explicit about 
being first movers in training inefficiencies back in the days. Right. So there are three types of trading edge. The first one is technological. I think we talked extensively about it. Mm-hmm. But the second one is information edge. So these ones, like those inefficiencies when Ed Thorpe was trading, trading stocks and warrants, those inefficiencies, they tend to close over time. Or for instance, back in the 80s, like trading moving averages or trading like the turtle side, those inefficiencies, they tend to be arbitraged over time. So it makes it more difficult. But there's still plenty and plenty and plenty of inefficiencies. The third type of of, uh, trading edge is called gain expectancy. Gain expectancy is win rate times uh, average win minus loss rate times average loss. And that one, this is something you can design it exists and it persists by design so writing a trading strategy is basically engineering your gain expectancy it's engineering your trading edge and i'm and while i agree that there was a first mover advantage back in the day the field has been so plowed that uh now there's not much advantage in being a first mover i see for instance the high frequency trading it's a winner takes all mentality now, if we think about it, if their whole game is about time and it's a winner-takes-all approach, mm-hmm. basically it has a built-in negative gain expectancy for uh, for all the other incumbents, which means you have to invest more and more and more every year to just keep up. So it's an arms race with a, with an, a terminal negative gain expectancy, which explains why a lot of HFT shops go out of business. And when you trade on, a, on a 10 milliseconds or lower than that, you can be bankrupt within two months. Right, that's a very good point. It's very scary and at the same time, an important realization that algo traders need to be aware of. And back to the issue of market efficiency, is it possible for algo trading to become counterproductive? Ah, it's like, okay, so, the, okay, so the, the notion that you're referring to now is probably efficient market, like arbitraging inefficiency. Right. Is it going to be counterproductive? I don't think so. Uh, I would say I would say quite the opposite, to be frank. I would say that actually manual trading and a whole bunch of people like, I believe the fundamental over the next 25 years are going to be spectacular. Yeah, come on, dude. <laughs> you didn't see much happening. So why? Like somebody just sort of forwarded me some research the other day, like a couple of days ago. Yeah, the head of the small cap, blah, 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 at one shop. He says it's a great time to buy the small caps and like, my only question to him was, okay, cool. What were you doing in March? <laughs> so the idea there is like all the emotional trading, like all the, what I call sentimental value investors, these guys are going to be arbitraged away. They do not deserve to exist unless they I see. And they know that. And it's very unfortunate. Uh, it's not unfortunate. It's, an, it's a natural part of evolution. Um, but the point is more algorithm means inefficiency is going to be arbitraged away, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be 100% efficient. There will still be opportunities to to be taken advantage of. Right, certainly. So what are some of the potential benefits that will drive a firm to implement algo trading? Well, first of all, um, first of all, it's it's efficient. Money works for you. Right. So in terms of uh, hiring people and so on and so forth, like in terms of labor costs, um, computer doesn't have strikes. Like it doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't need to water the computer. It's not even a plant. You just need to give it electricity and off it goes. Right. So in terms of scalability, 
this is like a computer, for instance. We uh, the project that I'm working with uh, my Swedish partner is we're working on a on a multi market. I mean, among other projects, but this is like this is this one is a, a far reach. Uh, we're working on a multi market around the clock day trading project. I see. So basically, like we wake up, okay, wake up, Australia starts first, then Tokyo. Here we go. Then after Tokyo, here comes Shanghai. Then after Shanghai, here comes Mumbai. And after Mumbai, here comes London or Frankfurt, and then London. And then after that, the US, rinse, repeat. You can literally do that around the clock, around the world, if you have, uh, if you have a few stocks to take care of. So, in terms of scalability, in terms of access, and also in terms of like, uh, for instance, when we do like traditional research, going out, kicking the tires, visiting companies, and so on and so forth. Today, you can use um, you can use uh, a bunch of Python libraries to scrape off the internet, then natural language processing, and off you go. You're done. Like any computer can do a better job than a human in a fraction of the time at a fraction of the cost. It can be deployed around the world. So that's number one. It's efficient. It's, it's labor, it's labor cost efficient. It can all be done in the cloud. I see. So the real estate, the cost of real estate for this is nothing, nothing. That's great. The good thing is that you can have multiple strategies, in, uh, and then you can have a, a one a one ring to load them all. Mm-hmm. One ultimate strategy, which is called asset allocation, right. where you can deploy different strategies according to different type of market, different type of instruments, different time frames, and so on and so forth. I see. And also, it's very formalized. Now, one thing that uh, I, uh, a lot of people coming to, uh, one of the interesting thing is a lot of people who start with, uh, with um, algorithmic trading, they what they don't realize is the number of trades that they take using an algo vastly uh, increases compared to manual trading. Because in the back of our brain, we have a natural filtering mechanism. Mm-hmm. So we think, oh, yeah, well, this is where is it? And then when the algo does, the algo doesn't really think about it. You program the rules, it executes the rules. Right. And it doesn't have the same filtering mechanism. So a lot of guys, like I, I work with a, a gentleman, like, yeah, but man, look, look at the chart. It looks good. Cool. Tell me how you want to code that one. Right. Well, the chart looks cool. Yeah, okay, fine. So how do you want to program that one and see? Well, I don't know, but it looks good, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so, how well the algo performs depends on how good the developer is. If you don't have a good developer, then your algo, although you may have good strategies, you may not be able to implement them as effectively as you would have hoped. That is correct. This is why actually uh, the the company Twitter Logic we want to remove that part. A lot of it, for instance, to give you an example, if you want platform like Quantopian or QuantConnect, mm-hmm. all the algorithms are linear in a sense that they, they invoke some classes if you want, but they're linear, like they have a sequence to it. Right. Let's say, for instance, you have a very simple thing. You have the most basic algorithm on the planet, which is called the Warren Buffett algorithm. Mm-hmm. Buy. Buy a boatload. And it doesn't have a sell, it doesn't have a stop loss, it doesn't have anything. It's just one button, buy, and nothing else thereafter. So that's the Warren Buffett algorithm, and it works very well for him. Exactly. Not for the wannabes, not for the lookalikes, not for the copycats, but for him it works very well. So that's one. The next thing, next thing you do, okay, I want to buy and I want to sell. That's a very simple one. Okay, cool. Then I want to buy, I want to buy some more, I want to have a stop loss, I want to sell, and so on. So every time you you think about the refinement, 
then you have to rewrite the entire structure of your algorithm. Right. This is the way it's done. So one thing that we're doing with Trilogix is we come up with templates. So let's say the first one you come up with, okay, I want the Warren Buffett because I know I'm more, I'm like my wife, I'm, I'm right 100% of the time. Even when I don't say anything, I'm always right. It's not, it's not a logical argument, it's a birthright. That's the, that's something that, <laughs> it's like all the wives are the same and I, I totally, and they, they totally agree with that because they're opposite right. So that's number one. And then number two is like, okay, you want a more sophistication, an exit, then you want to have a partial exit, or you want to have a scaling, and you want to have a scale out, and you want to have this and that and the other. It is far better, far more efficient to have a template, and then you just do the bunch of Legos in there. The other day I was looking at a platform called TT, Trading Technologies Platform, and they're sort of getting there already. I think that they have a great idea, they have a good visual interface, and they have a sort of flow chart. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the the idea is there, and also there's only another one called Trade View in Australia. They use MT4. Their visual interface is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to do a conference with those gentlemen in in uh, Melbourne. They're, they're, I, I love these guys. So th- this is where the industry is going, and by sort of giving templates, Lego, sort of Lego and blocks that people can assemble together, it can greatly reduce the development time. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. Right. Sure. That is very good. So is Argo trading fit for all asset classes? As long as it's publicly traded, as long as you have an API, yes. I see. So now, interestingly enough, I mean, not only any asset class, for instance, Forex is largely done via algorithmic trading. Uh, cryptos as well. The problem with crypto is like the bid ask spread. Like the bid ask spread is like a... The, the 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 print that people are the the price at which people are willing to sell versus the price at which people are willing to buy, and there's a spread between those two. And now mm-hmm. currently with cryptos, the bid ask spread is so wide you could dock a super tanker in between without scratching the hull. <laughs> <laughs> that thing so wide that like whoa. So this is why I probably don't I don't delve much into cryptos. I see. Uh, stocks by definition you can. Um, futures, of course, you can pretty much anything. Bonds, yeah. uh, bonds. Is, I mean, a lot of the bonds are, as far as I remember, a lot of the auctions are done uh, are done on OTC. A lot of the options you can do that, even though surprisingly enough, for instance, in Tokyo, you have a better pricing on OTC than listed. So pretty much any asset class, uh, you can do. Not only that, you can do any asset class, but any time frame. So let's say, for instance, and let's envision something where you have one strategy that you trade on a daily bars, and then the same strategy with the same instrument that you trade on the four-hour bar, on the one-hour bar. What happens then is if you have the same strategy, the same instrument, but different time frames, what happens is, synthetically, you're trading time. Right. And this is something that manual trading is extremely difficult to do. It has algorithmic trading, like, it doesn't even break a sweat. <laughs> this is what it's made for. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's very good. So what are some commonly used algorithms for trading? All right. So, I mean, if we talk about like pure trading execution algorithm, like the, the list is, I mean, we don't have all day. Uh, but to give you an example, like for instance, even now the some exchanges, they have like 50 types of orders. I see. These, these are done to accommodate the HFT guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, the traditional were always the fill or kill and then so forth, like the 
limits, top limits, and yada. But uh, so these are pure execution algorithms. That said, if we're talking about types of strategies, this is more the, the kind of work that I do, like formalizing strategies into algorithms. I believe that this is where the future is. So for those, there are only two types of strategy. Yeah, regardless of the asset class, there are only two types of strategies. Every time I say that, I hear like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the two types of strategies are basically trend following and mean reversion. Right. Now, why are there only two types of strategy? And what are they? So trend following basically is uh, like pretty much anybody, everybody on the market. They see something. Oh, gold is going up to the moon. Thank you very much. Go along. Ride it into the sunset. Tesla is going to Mars along with space. It's going to be loaded a whole bunch of SpaceX and they're all going to Mars. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so that is, um, that is trend following. So basically you hop on in and you ride it into the sunset. Thank you very much. So that's the first type. The second type is mean reversion. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tesla is way too expensive. It's time to short Tesla and it's going to revert to the mean and I'm going to teach Tesla some table manners. Well, Good luck. So you short or you go long or that thing is way too cheap. That thing is way too Enron is way too cheap. Like literally three weeks before Enron went bankrupt, uh, somebody at Credit Suisse said, Enron is way too cheap. It's a strong buy. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so you expect it to revert to the mean. Right. Uh, why are there only two types of strategies? It's because of the exit policy. Mm-hmm. Like it's because of the way people close the trade. The trend followers, they ride the trend, so they kiss a lot of frogs. They think, oh, this one's going up. No, no. This one's going up. Uh, no. This one's going up. No. This one's going up. Yeah! This is my prince running into the sunset. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, the mean reversion is like, these guys are, are arbitraging inefficiencies. Synthetically, the, 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 the asset class that they're trading is time. Because in a, like markets are not 100%, are not efficient all the time. Mm-hmm. All, not efficient all the time on all time frames. Sometimes it overshoots on the way up and overshoots on the way down. So, mean like the classic example is value investment. Everything gets creamed. The value guys come in, they buy that stuff, and when it reverts to the mean, they pass the buttons to growth guys and we write those things into the sunset. So, these are the two types of strategies. I see. So, mean reversion and uh, trend following. Now, the characteristics in terms of uh, skew, in terms of Gain expectancy is trend following. Trend followers have a lot, they kiss a lot of frogs, so they're going to be wrong a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and then they're going to be right every now and then. I see. Mean reversion, on the other hand, they tend to be right most of the time, but when they're wrong, they're seriously wrong, and uh, basically they lose by knockout. So, for, to give you an example, the captain of the Titanic had a 99.99% track record, he only had one bad shot. <laughs> All right. So now let's touch on the role of algo trading in risk management. Could you share with us how algo trading helps traders manage risk? Oh yes, 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 yes. Now, as a matter of fact, I write uh, I write a whole bunch of Jupyter notebooks. I write a whole bunch of like uh, scripts. Uh, portfolio management uh, systems is my forte. I see. I mean, I built, I built a lot of. I built them. I build world-class uh, portfolio management system for uh, long-short funds. So interestingly enough, okay, before we embark on this, what I've seen throughout the industry, first of all, in the hedge fund world, is like some people, they uh, 
having a good portfolio management system is like having a, a Iron Man suit. It doesn't mean that basically you're going to win over time, but it means that you reduce your chances of losing. Right. Well, I've, like, I've seen over the, t- over the years, like over two decades, uh, people have been kind enough to show me their portfolio management system and I've tooled them up. And, uh, not everybody who had a good system survived, but 100% of the people who had a bad system died. <laughs> I see. And, and case in point, March this year. So having a portfolio management system, having a good risk management system is not part of the business, not some distant part of the business. It is the business. Right. And it's like flying with instruments or flying without instruments. I mean, a lot of the hedge funds, a lot of the, the cowboys, like prop shops and so on, with a bunch of cowboys, they, they use VAR and stuff like this. And it works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, game over. Exactly. So to give you an example, investors, are, I believe that investors are like teenage girls. You know, teenage girls, they always say, I want to meet a good guy. And they just end up dating the same bad boy with a different name 20 times in a row. So the idea there is that investors they say, Oh, we want a return, they want a return, but they react to drawdowns. Now there are three ways to look at drawdowns. Magnitude, like never lose more than what your investors can stomach. Mm -hmm. Frequency, never lose more of never never test the nerves of your investors. And uh, duration, never test the patience of your investors. Now for this and being sensitive to drawdown is the essence of risk management. It's not about making a lot of money. Like, look at the people who go to fixing, who go for bonds and fixed income. These returns are asthmatic. The bulk of the money goes to fixed income, but the, but the returns are completely asthmatic. People want security. They want low volatility, low correlation return. And this is where you do risk management. Right. Now, how do you articulate that? The way to articulate that, there are basically five variables, like I mentioned a bit earlier, I think. One of them is growth exposure, so that's the leverage. So if you trade on margin, if you have a long short, I come from a long short background. If you have a long short, long that is stocks that you buy and short stocks that you sell short, then you add those two, you have gross exposure. So the standard gross exposure is about two two times your assets under management. Right. Back in in 2007, like I remember some funds at seven times leverage. Now, seven times leverage, that means that they juice up their returns with leverage. The problem is that leverage is a double-edged sword. So it works very well when it works, and when it doesn't, good good luck with that one. That leads us to the next one, which is called portfolio heat. Portfolio heat is um, open risk. Open risk is how much you risk on any trade until you hit a stop loss. Right. So it's your potential risk. Uh, loss for a single trade. Portfolio heat is the sum of all the open risk. And you can have open risk from 5% to 10, 20, to 10, 12%. But I mean, for instance, a, a portfolio heat at 20%, that means that you're, by the time you're there, you'll, you'll have zero investors left. So it's safer to risk less and to maintain those bands. And nothing can do that better than an algorithm. Because it's very simple, it's very formulaic. The third, the third one is net exposure. Net exposure is basically you have the long book and the short book. Now again, in this case, I'm going to do a little bit of a digression, but I think it's important for for the audience. Is a lot of the people on the long side they go 
Uh, I'm a short seller to start with. That's what I've been doing for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. So on the long side, people go trend following, like, all right, Tesla, SpaceX, oh, baby, let's go to the moon. And then on the short side, all right, oh, Tesla is way too expensive. And then they short something that they think is going to mean revert. Now, mean reversion and trend following have opposite payoffs and they have opposite risk. So basically, having them together, bundled together, long trend following, short mean reversion is not reducing risk, it's compounding risk. You need to have symmetrical strategies on both sides. If you want to be long trend follower, you need to be short trend following. If you want to be long mean reversion, you got to be short mean reversion. And algorithms are really good at that. Four would be net beta. Net beta, the beta is the sensitivity to the market. It's basically, uh, I think it's covariance matrix to the, ma- to the, to the market. So, uh, all stocks have some sort of sensitivity to the market. For instance, what do we call small cap, small and middle capitalization? They have much higher sensitivity for one dollar that the, for one percent return of the market. Small cap, depending on the time or on whether we're in early bull, late bull, and so on, depending on the cycle, they sometimes have 1.5 or two times twice the market. Right. And also on the way down and so on and so forth. So having a net beta and thinking of the market, to give you an example, to really drive the point home, mm-hmm. in 2008, um, a lot of the hedge funds said, oh man, I'm bared up. I'm going to buy a gun. I'm going to buy some flowers, some sugar, some coffee. Goodbye. They were all bared up for the uh, financial Armageddon. Yet, if you look at their portfolio, it was a very different story. Their net beta was at 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.3, point, between point, I would say the average was around 0. 0.5. Now, 0. 0.5 in a market that crops out, 0. 0.5 is still positive. So these guys they may say, oh, I'm net, net exposure zero, I'm, I'm neutral to the market. Yes, but as long as your net beta, your sensitivity is positive in a bear market, you will lose money. Mm-hmm. Right. End of conversation. <laughs> like there's there's no negotiation there so the idea there and the idea is that i believe you know like now it's like a lot of people um use machine learning and ai for price prediction good luck predicting randomness good luck with that one i mean i've seen the same quads back in the 90s i've seen the same quads in the 2000s right. this is just the same kind of guy with a bigger bazooka <laughs> you cannot predict randomness end of conversation Right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, the risk management, like for instance, the net beta, the, the exposures, the heat, you can use machine learning for that, for the position sizing, for the risk management. This is where AI and machine learning, reinforcement learning, neural networks, this is where it works. This is really where it comes and shines because the outcomes are finite. The boundaries are finite. And nobody talks about that at the moment. No one. Everybody is like fixated on on, uh, on price forecasting. And let me put another variable, dude. This is not Indian masala. You don't you don't throw it out the water and expect that something will stick. This is not how it works. Randomness. You cannot beat randomness. But on the other hand, uh, you can actually optimize a lot of things within your portfolio, your risk management, using algorithm, machine learning, AI. All these guys, you can use them for that. This is what it's made for. I see. Right. So let's touch on another subject concerning risk management, and this particularly talks to the behavior of traders. In the past, we've seen traders go rogue or just make otherwise avoidable losses on their trades. 
And this typically occurs because traders have competing interests in terms of the commissions they make on each trade. So the more money they make, the higher the commission. This provides the incentive to make higher bets, bets that sometimes cannot be substantiated or even be well guarded. What is the role of algo trading in this scenario? Is it going to be able to check this behavior of traders so that we mitigate such conflict? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. There's something called flash crash. Uh, flash crash are quite frequent, actually. And if you look at the ETFs and the way they trade it, uh, there's a lot of flash crash. Now, flash crash happens uh, when uh, in um, in thin markets, which means that basically the there's not much volume to go on, and uh, so algos can chase everybody's tail. They can they can chase their own tail and and go into tailspin. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, and this and again, this is these are they they are they are they are winners and losers in this, and uh, these are guys who who are not really good at programming and get hosed at the time. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, this is not gonna go away. And to talk about, like, for instance, the, the big, like, the whale and so on and so forth, these guys obviously have no concept whatsoever of uh, gain expectancy and, uh, they use, uh, trading, um, they, they use trading strategies, uh, called Martingale. Martingale is, uh, is a night, is, uh, whenever you lose, you double up your position. So Martingale has a, so the, the concept behind Martingale is, let's say, for instance, uh, you lose, double up your position. You lose again, double up your position. You lose again, double up your position. Or not necessarily double up, but you increase your position as you lose. Now, Martingale, and the idea behind this is over time, you will make up your losses. One day, with the next, with the trade, you're going to make up all your losses in one go. Now, the problem with Martingale is that it has a very interesting statistical property called for any outcome before landing on the, on the successful trade, he has a very interesting statistical property called certainty of ruin. Mm-hmm. You will go bust. End of conversation. The only way you cannot go bust is if you have infinite money. Uh, I don't know, but very few people have infinite money. <laughs> so, and also there's an interesting thing about the, the whales is that, um, basically if you add to losers, you cut your winners short because money has to come from somewhere. So you cut your winners short and you run your losers. As far as I know, the entire library, the entire financial library of all time since the time immemorial is like, ride your winners, cut your losers. I don't remember any winning strategy that said, ride your losers, cut your winners. But maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. So what would you say are some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to algo trading? Oh, I wrote a very interesting uh, note about that uh, on uh, Quora. So uh, that's a very good question. I mean, we, that is um, the first thing is to really keep it simple. Mm-hmm. That is really the most important thing. Uh, complexity is a form of laziness. Right. So, oh, I'm going to put uh, some price warnings, then a PBR, then a... A square, uh, what a Z score or relative PBR, blah, 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 blah. Forget about that. Complexity is fragile. Right. Nothing beats simplicity. Like, you have to be very simple about it. The second thing is, uh, focus on gain expectancy. Mm-hmm. So, the idea is that your job as an algorithmic trader is to optimize the gain expectancy. 
That is it. That's the alpha and omega of everything you have to do. Right. That's all you need to do. I mean, nothing happens until the gain expectancy turns positive. Gain expectancy stands for trading edge. So nothing happens until it is positive. Um, after that, I would focus on exits. And um, also, I would uh, I would steer clear from the uh, the compulsion to... Uh, a lot of people want to have more factors. Don't. The fewer, the better. And also, a lot of people want to optimize those factors until, like, uh, until it, they want to waterboard the data until it confesses. Bad idea. Um, focus on the times when your strategy doesn't work. And why is it important? Is because precisely not trading, choosing not to trade is also a trading decision. Exactly. Choosing to go fishing or go binge watching Netflix is also a trading decision. Right. That is well said. So with the advent of our gold trading, there's been a lot of negative sentiment that it's going to drive out a lot of traders who do not adapt. What would you say is the likely impact of our gold trading on employment? It's not looking good. It's not looking good for all these execution traders. Like there's a, on if you look up on the internet, there's a there's a picture of the UBS trading floor, circa 2000, and you can see like rows and rows and rows and rows of traders. Mm -hmm. And then the same floor uh, in 2015, I guess, or 14, and then you see like two miserable deaths. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's the best answer unfortunately so it's not looking good for a lot of people I see So um, I would say that uh, for everybody who wants to get into the business the first thing you need to do is learn to code right I mean learning to I mean originally I was a CPA US CPA certified uh, public accountant so um, yeah I guess I understand fundamentals but learning to read a balance sheet and income statement is good, but learning to code is far more important. I see. I see. All right. So that's very good. Let's look at the future of the industry. Where do you see it going in the next, say, five to 10 years? Oh, I got a great story about that one. <laughs> so back in, I think it was 2013 or 14, I was at Fidelity uh, back then, and uh, they were like, um, yeah, well, you know, I got this thing. I wrote it on Wealth Lab, so it's a, C, a subset of C Sharp. Mm -hmm. I got a programming strategy that is scalable. You can do any sort of market. You can do any sort of uh, asset class. And look at that. Like, I mean, it has one third of the volatility of the market. It clocks in like between 15 and 20% per annum. I mean, I, I guess that some lost soul will probably like it. Some kind will love it. And the person I was pitching the, the, the idea to, he just closed his book. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, no, he, he closed his book. He said, thank you very much for your time. I'm like, wait, I haven't even started. And he looked at me and said, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, I, and my vision back then was exactly what we have today. I see. So what it, like, uh, my vision back then would be like ETF would eat the lunch. They would eat the breakfast, the lunch, and the dinner of the active management, and they would invoice them for the Vaseline too. Thank you very much. Uh, and my vision would be that the, uh, we would very much move towards more an algorithmic world. And, and my vision would also be that there would be more retail traders, more enthusiastic traders. Mm -hmm. And there would be democratization of information. This is exactly what is happening now. It's unfolding. 
Now, my vision for the next five to 10 years is like with companies like, for instance, the stuff that we do with Logics, there's a whole subset of people who want to code. It's very simple. Like, look at this. There's a whole bunch of kids who shoot zombies across the internet, who get hooked on shooting zombies across the internet on video games and so on and so forth. Imagine you give them the ability to write strategies in a very simple, logical way and so on and so forth, and they can make money. I mean, this is going to get people hooked. Right. So there's a whole set of people, there's a whole population of people who want to trade. And also, I think that uh, the emperor is naked in the sense that up until now, all those financial advisors and so on and so forth, they all drape it into very complicated and complex jargon. Like Even when I listen to it, I get intimidated. <laughs> that's, that's usually like 30 seconds before I say, you know what? You're just a crematocolrophonie. Right. Money, funny voice, cool clown. You're a financial jester, you're a charlatan. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but the point behind this is that there's a whole there's a whole subset of people who want to get involved in the market. Exactly. But who thinks this is daunting. And if you can gamify the whole process, which is something that we're doing with Trader Logics, if you can simplify, vulgarize, vulgarize as in making it accessible to anybody. Everybody wants to be Jim Simons, nobody wants to do the plumbing. So if people can show up on the Friday night and start, okay, I'm going to start with the moving average, I'm going to try test, blah, 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 it doesn't work, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then by Sunday, they have something that sort of similarly works. Or like older people, like for, to manage their pension, a very simple thing would be an asset allocation algorithm that can go around 10 ETS, 10, 20 ETS. They can do that themselves. They don't need the middleman. So the middleman is going to go away. That's very bad news for a lot of the brokers. Also, very bad news for a lot of the active management industry. We don't need them. Right. Right. And I think we got the facts. Yeah, they still operate on facts, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I believe you have a conference on algo trading. You'll be speaking at the algo trading conference coming up in November. That is on November 28th. Is there any information you could share on that? Oh, yes. it's uh, So the thing that I'll be doing there, and I love the guys I've, I've been working with. Uh, so the thing that I'll be doing there is literally the strategy that I'm trading. I see. I mean, it's the first of the strategy that I'm trading using MT4, MQL. And uh, so it's a scale-out strategy. Now, I have something called a floor and ceiling method. So it's fairly simple. Um, and this is a version of what I do. So the idea is, I believe that uh, when, for instance, when the market makes a bottom and then it makes a higher low, substantially higher low, this is usually the beginning of a bull market. Vice versa, when the market makes a peak and it makes a substantially lower high, that's the beginning of a, a bear market. So the idea is to go from bull to bear, to trade the regime reversal, and then it's a scale-out system, as in basically... Take some money off the table, reset the stop loss, and let it run. Let it do its thing. So this strategy has a positive expectancy on all time frames that we've traded, starting from the one hour, four hour, daily, of course, and weekly. So uh, we're going to be doing this. People are going to get the source code. Uh, we're also probably going to do a bit of equity curve trading. I have something called a convex oscillator. I mean, this is a bit, sounds a bit... Uh, mathematically intimidating but the idea makes a ton of that when people look at like when i explained that to an, to an, an old italian lady in italian i don't speak italian but i sort of did i said like of course isn't it what everybody does 
like, all right. <laughs> yes, lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, it's very simple, intuitive. I'm also going to publish a book. I mean, that's, this project has been going on for like three years, three, four years. And uh, finally, I have a great accountability partner. I mean, the ultimate final stage of uh, finishing the book. The book is about short selling. That's my discipline. Mm-hmm. I've done that for well over a decade. So, and uh, surprisingly enough, my mandate was to be a relative value short seller in Japan. So in the longest bear market in modern history, my job was to do worse than that. I see. Every single day of the week. Like there are two inside missions that had higher win rates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and not only that, I was a quantitative analyst doing that in a bottom-up fundamental long-only shop. Like, seriously? Like, I mean, come on, like uh, in terms of flagellation. So I always tell my friends, like, you know what? The day after the nuclear apocalypse, I hope I can st- I can land on a stash of Bordeaux or Codiron because all your survivors, the ants and the Scorpios and the rats, they're not really good for conversation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, Lord. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been very nice talking to you. Um, I believe... There's a lot more you could share on the topic, and I want to give the opportunity to give out any contact if anyone wants to reach out to you for any services that your company provides. The best thing that people can do is either reach me uh, through LinkedIn or Quora. On Quora, I mean, this is my name, Laurent Bernier. LinkedIn, this is my name. There's only one. Uh, So people can reach me anytime. Uh, I help people on a regular basis. Uh, very often, that uh, sometimes they even charge them money for that. But <laughs> right, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, yeah, people can reach me anytime in there. Uh, LinkedIn, Quora, that would be good. Okay, that's very good. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate you for making the time to um, join this discussion. I appreciate that, and thank you very much. Thank you very much to you, Doctor. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a fantastic interviewer. You ask really interesting questions. Uh, you have an open mind. I really acknowledge you for that. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Subscribe to the Risk Experience podcast and thank you for listening.